Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Satellite, Profile Theater's online supplementary magazine. Satellite is where you will come for interviews with artists, activists, and educators, and whoever else might give you a deeper understanding of the work that Profile puts on the stage. With Satellite, Profile is always looking for new avenues to deepen our audience's experience of the art, pulling back the curtain, providing insight, and giving our audience a glimpse of the act of creation. And now, welcome to Satellite. And thank you for joining us for this, our very first episode of a special satellite series covering our playwright convening. My name is Tamara Carroll. I'm Profiles Director of Community Engagement. And I had the great privilege of talking to two of the featured playwrights of our American Generation season, Christopher Diaz and Christopher Oscar Pena. Both Christophers are here in Portland for just over a week uh, workshopping two plays that Profile will be presenting as world premieres next year. You can hear my conversation with the playwrights a little bit later in this episode, but before we get to any of that, here is Profile Theater's artistic director, Josh Hecht, to set the stage uh, for what this week is all about. The playwright residency has always been an important part of a season at Profile. Um, we've brought many of our featured playwrights out to Portland for as short as a weekend or as long as one or two weeks to engage with the community and um, and work on some new uh, material. In taking a deep dive into the bodies of work of contemporary writers, um, our hope is that you, our community, our audience, um, not only get to know the plays of these writers, but get to know the writers, get to know their voice, get to know their commitments, get to know what animates them. Um, and by bringing them to Portland for this residency, we will really get to connect with them in a really meaningful way. Um, what makes this one particularly unique is that since we are featuring these three writers over a two-year season, um, as we have started doing over the last several years, um, it's not just one playwright that we're bringing to Portland for, for this residency, but we've actually conceived of a joint residency for the writers. So we've called it the Playwright Convening because we are convening these three incredible, ambitious, prolific, uh, important writers of our generation to to develop new work in tandem and hopefully form a little cohort of mutual support of their own artist to artist. I feel like since you have become artistic director, you started to explore or push beyond the boundaries of what a single like single season has typically looked like, um, both in the duration of what a season is, of um, how many playwrights are included in a season and how you're thinking about their work being in conversation with each other. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about what that has looked like and why, why, yeah, what has motivated you to branch out a little bit um, if you see it as not a f shift in like profiles mission in terms of what the mission is, because that feels very stable. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
how you approach that mission. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that's exactly right. And some of that you know, certainly started before me. So um, yes, you're right, Jane Unger, the founder of Profile, she was really interested in the titans of the American theater and, um, and really wanted to shine a spotlight on the depth and breadth of their work. Um, and so, you know, since that was 1997 when she founded the theater, those were largely writers who were writing in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, Adriana Baer, who preceded me as artistic director, she was the first one who really started to shift the programming in that way. She was really interested in the people that we would come to call the the 21st century titans, right? Um, and, you know, some of those writers that she featured, I mean, yes, Sam Shepard was was certainly um, late in his career and extremely accomplished. Sarah Rule was also extremely accomplished, but in her late 30s, right? Tanya Barfield, also super accomplished in her late 30s. Um, so, so Adriana was really interested in contemporary writers, and Adriana also launched the what at the time we were calling the diversity and inclusion initiative using the terms of that time um, and that was at the time a three-year commitment to featuring only women and BIPOC writers um, I've since continued that focus and so really since since 2015 was the first year that we sort of kind of uh, intentionally started that shift. And since then, we have only produced the works of BIPOC, Jewish, LGBTQIA+, and women writers. Um, and, you know, I think that, that that prioritizing of those writers has felt important, has felt reparative, um, vis-a-vis the long history of the American theater, not just profile theater. It's also felt like it's something that connects us more deeply to the world that we are that we live in, the country that we live in, the city that we live in, it makes us more relevant. Um, so for so many reasons, that has felt like something that we will continue to prioritize. Um, and then in terms of of sort of shifting a little bit towards, contemporary writers and and who are really actively working right now and um, and to doing multiple writers you know that we started that in 2018 when we featured Lisa Crone and Anna Devere Smith side by side and um, and something that really emerged for us was how fun and interesting and engaging it was to think of these writers together you know they're very different in voice and style but they both come out of a solo performance tradition in downtown new york in the late 90s Um, they both are dealing with real materials so to speak though in very different ways you know anna devere smith is so devoted to um, verbatim uh, verite and lisa crone is really interested in kind of a more free-wielding memoiry kind of approach but there's, they are related to each other in interesting ways. And so as we've moved forward, we've shifted away from the one writer, one season model, as you noted, to longer two-year seasons where we get to feature two, sometimes three writers together and get to investigate particular questions that emerge when we hold these two or these three writers together. And so in the current season, the American Generation season, all three of these writers are 
writing in what feels to me like a very American, almost pop culture idiom. You know, the milieu are very American, pro wrestling, basketball, hip hop, um, you know, a, a certain kind of young gay American experience, right? Chinatown, like these are all very American um, contexts that they're writing within. Um, and they are also all dealing with in various ways, first and second generation experiences, um, and are really interested in intersectional identities. A lot of the characters that that we're featuring this year and next year um, uh, forge a peculiarly American identity that is comprised of their BIPOC identity, their LGBTQ identity, their gender identity, right? And um, and that's the world that we are living in. You know, we are we are more and more and more comfortable claiming multiple identities and holding them simultaneously. And I think that is something that is a particular part of the American story. Coming back to this week, what uh, what is the what is the activity going to look like? Talk us through the week. Talk about the way that the um, the actors and the directors and the design team that is going to be present. How how are we putting them all together, shaking them up, and making magic? Yes, one of the things that I have always been excited about in thinking about this week is you know it it. it it occurs sort of right at the middle point almost of this two-year season. And so those two years were conceived of as year one, we're doing some of their best known plays, these three writers, and then we will develop new work in this convening and and, and in other smaller ways all throughout the year, but in a big way at this convening. And then we will premiere new plays by these writers in year two of the American Generation season. Um, and so this becomes a really important uh, moment in that whole trajectory of, of the two years of this profile season. The opening weekend, the 28th and the 29th and 30th, we are gathering both playwrights, both directors, a couple of designers, and the artistic staff of the theater. And we're doing closed, cold readings of the plays as they are currently. So they're currently in, one's in its second draft, one's in its more like sixth draft at this point. Um, <clears throat> and that's really a chance for the core creative team to hear the play out loud, hear from the playwright what they're intending to work on, what the questions are that they are asking, um, give a little bit of feedback in terms of what they're hearing in relationship to those questions, and then send the playwrights and directors off into their own individual rooms to work on the plays over the coming week. So this is part of the way that we are hoping to form a little cohort among the two playwrights and two directors who are in the room, such that by the time they hear the public readings, the second weekend after a week of work, they will already have a basis of knowing what these writers are working on and what they hoped to accomplish as context for what they hear at the end of the week. Um, and then after that, again, the creative teams will go into a private space for some feedback and say, what did we hear? And, um, and did the playwrights accomplish the goals that they set out for themselves? You know, sometimes as a, as a dramaturg, as a writing teacher, as a director, it can be interesting to, um, you know, the, 
the playwrights have um, a, have a, a, a note that they're trying to address. And often there's the experience of making lots of changes and then looking back at that note and saying, did I actually address the note or did I just make changes, right? So, so that process to say, you know, how, how did that go? Did they actually achieve their goals? What might be the next step? Um, there'll probably be a rewrite subsequent to this whole experience over the summer. And then we'll take these plays into rehearsal next season and premiere them. Um, so it's a, it's a really exciting, fruitful, developmental week. And then the one other piece that happens this week is that Sunday the 7th at 2 p.m., we're doing an artist talk with all three of them. So only Chris Pena and Chris Diaz are actually coming to Portland um, for this residency. Lauren Yee has a newborn baby, less than a year old, and she's also the executive producer of a new television show. Um, and the combination of those things made it impossible for her to um, fly to Portland for 10 days at this time. But she is going to participate in this artist talk um, via satellite, as we used to say, as they would say on TV in the 80s and 90s. Um, and so um, so Chris and Chris and I will be on stage on Sunday the 7th, and, and um, Lauren will be on a screen in the theater as well. And the writers will read a little bit of their own writing and will engage in a conversation, not just about artistic practice and their work, but also about what is the role of an artist and an arts organization in the civic life of a city, in social justice movements? You know, what do we want from our arts institutions and from our artists? Um, so I think that's going to be a really robust conversation followed by a little reception in the lobby. So it should be a really fun way to culminate. To, it'll be a wonderful capstone event for this 10-day residency. Having spent uh, the past, I don't know, three or four days talking to both of the playwrights and <clears throat> the directors and you and, um, you know, reading the plays, I'm like, is the best way to get super excited. I'm like, feel um, like I want to be best friends with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thought you would like to leave us with? I think that... Um one of my hopes in working on new plays with these incredible writers is that Profile gets to contribute to the lifeblood of the American theater. You know, we're not just receiving plays that have already been written. We are commissioning new plays. We are giving these writers space, time, money, and resources to create the next great American story. And it's such a privilege to be a part of that process. Um, and I uh, am so excited to share it with our community here in Portland. Next up, I talk with Christopher Diaz, who profile audiences have gotten to know through our recent production of Welcome to Arroyos, and earlier this season, uh, our production of the elaborate entrance of Chad Deity. Uh, which was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in drama. Christopher is also a screenwriter who has written for HBO, FX, and for the Netflix series Glow. The play he is currently here to work on, Reggie Hoops, has a fascinating history that we get to hear a little bit about. Enjoy. Reggie Hoops is a play that I've been working on for quite a while now. It was originally commissioned um, 
by Temple University uh, for their graduate acting uh, program. And it was, it happened during 2016. I know that because the day uh, that we did our first reading of the first draft of that piece was the eve of the election. And the play was a very different play. We'll talk about the play in a second, but the play at that point was being written in the um, pretty clear sense that uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton was going to be the first female president shortly after um, we started working on it and uh, when the play was originally going to be produced. Um, that obviously didn't happen. And the play has uh, adapted and changed a bunch in reaction to that. It's uh, not a play about presidencies or, or, or politics in any real way. Um, but uh, I, I find that that's a fun bit of context uh, when we talk about the play, when we think about the play. Um, Reggie Hoops is a play about a character named Reggie Hoops, who is, uh, her last name is not Hoops, um, but she uh, works for the uh, professional basketball team in the National Basketball Association. She is uh, an assistant general manager um, to a and unnamed, well, no, her team is not unnamed uh, at the time. She was an assistant general manager to a fictional version of the Brooklyn Nets. And um, she has recently been let go from her job and she's grappling with uh, why she's been let go, how she's been let go, and what she's going to do with her life after that. Um, being off the road means being back home with her wife, uh, her younger brother and her mom uh, who are all in the picture and have different ideas about how she should be readapting back into the real world, uh, quote unquote. And at some point, uh, shortly after she comes back home, an old kind of boyfriend, we'll call him a boyfriend, uh, pops back into her life, offering her, no spoilers at this point, a really big job back in the NBA. And the rest of the play uh, grapples with um, what do you do when a dream job comes your way in a field that may or may not leave you in the healthiest uh, mental state, let's say? Yeah, that is very interesting um, to know that context about... Uh... Man, I yeah, I <laughs> was just taken back to that night and how... And how long the champagne sat in the refrigerator um, before <laughs> there was any reason to open it? Yeah, it was. It was jarring, and it was jarring. You know, right? It was writing a play. It, the funny thing about it was um, the it was a weird place to start talking about this play, maybe because it's not. As I said, it's not about that at all. But one of the big themes in the play at that point really was like this prevalence of Bernie Sanders, even more than the prevalence, you know, or, or the presence of Bernie Sanders was much more felt, um, even than the presence of the presence of the upcoming president, uh, now former president. So uh, it, uh, it was jarring. And I think a lot of the feelings potentially that led to some of the uh, Trump votes, especially some of the Trump votes in black and brown communities, um, may have been lurking in this play. And we've been unpacking those a little bit as we go forward as well. I was talking to Chris Pena yesterday, who of course is also coming out to develop um, the world premiere that we commissioned, Our Orange Sky. One of the things we talked about was just how exciting 
it was for both of us uh, to sort of be introduced to a queer character, especially a queer character of color, where their sexuality is just like not part of the conflict, really. Uh, like a yeah like like wow <laughs> are we are we getting somewhere where we can really start expanding our representation to be queer yeah. black and brown people like are married with kids in suburban households with you know just professional careers and that's that's what they're grappling with yeah no that's that's exciting i mean so you know i'll, I'll say a few things to that one is um you know to preface it by saying you know i'm a straight cis male um, and it's uh, it's a daunting thing to write, especially now, um, to think about writing folks outside of your you know quote unquote lived experience. Um, and uh, when I was writing this specifically for some performers, like I said, in the grad acting program at Temple, and one of the requests, I, I said, what 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 do you guys what have you guys never done on stage? What would you like to do? And one of the requests was to really grapple with sort of a a, a queer relationship or to see a queer love story on stage. And um, I was excited to take that on. And I knew that like my, the story that I could tell within that was not going to be one of, it, it wasn't going to be a coming out story. It wasn't going to be, you know, the story of, um, I don't know, trying to prove yourself to your family or stand up against, you know, homophobia in, in any particular way. Um, because I, 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 maybe I could put my mind into that world, but it wasn't the story that I, it, was, it felt like that wasn't my story to tell. You know, it, it was, you know, and then also I will say, you know, with a, a character, uh, I knew I wanted to write a play. Uh, my, my main character was going to be female and I knew that we were going to be living in this sports world. Um, I, it was clear pretty quickly that it wasn't going to, the play wasn't going to take place in the WNBA, but in the NBA and, uh, or in relationship to the NBA. And uh, but still knowing the history of the WNBA, uh, which is so largely populated uh, by members of the LGBTQ community, um, it felt like only, you know, it would only sort of do justice to 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 the source material, if you know, as it were, um, to live in that 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 experience. So, yeah, so it's exciting. It's exciting to be able to write that. I'm glad to hear, um, you know, that it's that that resonates and hopefully um you know, hopefully we do a good job with it. I've been writing a lot of sports play. I write a lot of plays about sports. I write a lot of plays about men. I think writing about sports, um, especially team sports, especially professional team sports, um, tend to be a really exciting way to crack uh, what men are really dealing with and feeling, um, you know, especially straight men and not only, not only in exclusively straight men. Um, but, uh, you know, I always joke about how I, I want to write a play called How Straight Boys Say I Love You, because um, every time we work on Chad Deity, uh, there comes a moment when everyone realizes that so much of that play is about these guys who love each other and take care of each other and put their lives into each other's hands and happen to do it in like tiny outfits and all oiled up with body oil, um, which is another part of the story. But, you know, there's something about male affection that I find really compelling and uh sports is and, and important and not discussed so uh i find spaces to grapple with that in sports quite a bit um for this one though i as i said i knew i was writing for a specific group of, of writers a, sp a specific group of actors excuse me and um we had 50 50 uh male female 
And um, as I started kicking around just the relationships and what they, you know, what their ages were and how they sort of fit together, um, it landed that the lead of my story was going to be a woman. And, um, and that just got real interesting. It complicated things. I love when I create a new character to take a character that could be completely straightforward and um, not something we've seen before, but you know something that we might expect to see, and then just making one big left turn with them, changing the gender, changing the race, changing something about you know who they are, what they're interested in, um, and so uh, I, I think you could write this exact same play with um, Reggie uh, being male and 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 uh, being the older brother. Uh, to Muncie, who's who's her younger brother in this play, um, and I think it could still work. Uh, but something about the her being a woman married to a woman um, got really interesting to me. It's also she's she's married to a woman, uh, but her relationship in the past is is uh, with a man, and all of that stuff just felt fun and rich and fertile, and just more you know more to play with. I, I think the world is more complicated than we think about it sometimes. I think the world is more complicated than we think about it all the time. Let's talk about this upcoming development process. So this play has uh, been with you for a long time now. It sounds like, what, six, 16? It's a long time, yeah. Almost two, two, yeah, almost two full presidential terms since then. Crazy. Where is it in its development? Like, are you... Uh, it looked like the most recent draft was from just this past winter, so just like four or five months ago, maybe. Yeah, where are you with this guy? Yeah, so it's we're we're pretty we're pretty close. So one of the cool things about this play is that from the very beginning, uh, certainly from the time we got into that first production, the the structure of it worked. A lot of times when you're first working on a new play, you're trying to see if the boat floats. And this boat has sort of always floated. Like the story, we know where it's, where it's starting, where it's ending, what the big decisions are going to be. Um, you know, who's it about? What's it about? Is what I always ask my students to, to get to over and over again. What's the main story that you're driving towards? All that was really clear to me early on. Um, but, uh, of course, one of the curveballs that got thrown early on was that the world changed. And, you know, um, the idea of, um, you know, a woman who was going to become in, in Reggie, uh, Reggie's offered the position uh, in the first version of the play. Here comes this unavoidable. Well, not, well, we'll keep the spoiler. She's offered a really huge position um, at an NBA team. And um, originally the thought was that that was going to be sort of mirroring this, this Hillary Clinton experience. Um, obviously that all changes when, when Trump gets elected. So, uh, some of it was figuring out what the play was about. Um, the character of Muncie, we always knew Muncie was fighting with some feelings of being eclipsed by his sister and um, not being, you know, he's he's a, a stay-at-home dad in the play. And uh, so him grappling a little bit with what's, I'm saying grappling a lot in this conversation, uh, but him fighting with those, those feelings and, and working through those feelings. Um, we're always going to be parts of things, but we had to, and I say we with a lot of folks who've, who've helped to investigate this play, um, there's always a question about how does how do things change in light of how the world has shifted and is going to continue to shift. So um, there's been a lot of figuring out of that. Uh, Muncie has been 
the the nut that we've had to crack. And I think I've gotten pretty close now to understanding more and more about him and understanding exactly just who he is and what he's feeling uh, in relationship to his sister. Um, so I, I think I think the piece has gotten really um, uh, really close now. Uh, you know, the, the exciting thing is, uh, well, one of the exciting things is getting to dig into the play for an extended developmental period with uh, professional actors is thrilling. It was really great, like I said, to work with um, these MFA actors who are all professional actors now and, and, and high quality, um, even at the time we were working together. Uh, but some of the characters in this play are in their um, 50s and 60s, I think. Some, so, I think 50s when we see them. Um, some of the characters are in their, you know, thirties and forties and have different life experiences. So getting to, to play with it in that extended way that you get to work on it when you're getting a show ready to get on stage is, is a real gift. And, um, to be able to do it a profile where, uh, the community at least knows, uh, what this play comes out of in terms of having seen Arroyos and then having seen Deity and, uh, you know, knowing knowing some of the stuff that's going through my head, um, I think where where we're at with the piece is going to be a really exciting, uh, fertile ground for finding new stuff. That was playwright Christopher Diaz, and you can join us for a public reading of his play Reggie Hoops this Friday, May fifth, seven thirty p.m. at Imago Theater. Next. I had an absolutely delightful conversation with Christopher Oscar Pena. Profile audiences have not yet had the opportunity to experience Pena's work, but I emphatically hope that changes during our upcoming production of How to Make an American Son, and that is opening on June 10th. The main character in American Son is uh, sort of a portrait of the playwright himself as a young man and also his relationship with his father. The play that uh, Pena is workshopping this week is called Our Orange Sky, uh, which was commissioned by Profile Theater for our season of world premieres and uh, has some characters and um, similarities to Pena's life as well that he talks about in our conversation. Would it be fair to say that uh, Our Orange Sky is a sequel? I would say, yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. I would say that um, I've started what I'm calling like the alternate universe, like metaverse um, version of my plays where they are, I would say like a fictitious, but um, also kind of factual take on me and my family. So American Son is um, my character around the age of, I think, 16 um and we also meet the like fictitious version of my father and then our orange sky is basically present day it's me in my 30s and my family now josh really said you know when i got this residency he said you know we want to commission a new play um what do you want to write about and at the time i had um 
ingredients more than anything. Um, and so I, I sort of wrote up a little proposal. And, you know, really, I think I think Josh was going to say yes to, you know, whatever I was excited about. And I think he just wanted to know where that was. So I said, you know, I think I think I want to write a play about reverse migration. Um, uh, basically, I think because of the state of the country and the last few years, there's a lot of... Um, immigrants and people of color that I know who kind of are like, what are we doing here? Is this the best place for us to be? Should we be here? Is America as great as we think it is? And I think a lot of people are thinking about moving away. Some people moving back to the countries they came from, other place, other people just, you know, somewhere else. And I think about that a lot. Like, uh, and so I think about the play that I wanted to write was what, what is, what is a story of a family on the precipice of going away, about about leaving. Um, so that was the first thing that I sort of pitched that I wanted to talk, to explore those themes. I also um, told him that I was excited about um, writing maybe a happy ending. Most of my plays tend to not have happy endings, in fact, aggressively so. Um, so I, 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 I was like, maybe I'll write a happy ending play. And I also said that I wanted to write play with a gay love story that was positive um and i and so that was in the pitch and i think josh was really excited about um uh having uh you know queer characters who are positive and successful and joyful um and then i and then i think i told him that i was gonna that i was gonna be in the play I think those were kind of the things that I really said that I wanted to do and then when it just um when it came down to writing, you know, this this production of How to Make an American Son is going to be its West Coast premiere, and it's going to be the second production of the play ever. So uh, the the world premiere happened um, this last year, almost almost a year to the date of our production at Profile opening was the first production in Arizona, uh, in Phoenix and Tucson, and so when I was thinking about this new play. American Sun has been, you know, has been really in my head. And so I realized as I'm getting older that um, my plays are becoming more and more autobiographical. It's getting harder for me to just write about other things. Um, it feels for me really important that if I'm going to spend time writing and if I'm going to invite other people into the room and make them not only pay, but more importantly, give up their time, then I want to be uh, writing things that matter to me and that hopefully will matter to other people. So I think I'm, I'm digging deeper into you know, my own experiences and just my feelings about the world that we live in. And so it felt important to keep um, keep talking with through this character, with this character. And um, I'm also, I will say, in a very interesting and um, painful and exciting point of my life. And I'm, um, and I'm figuring out what choices I've made that have been great and how I've sort of built my own prison in a way. And so I think um, that that has been, you know, what I'm exploring. And so I think I'm exploring in our own sky whether all the sacrifices that I've made to accomplish certain things have been worth it. I'm curious, uh, a couple of things, like one, where is this play in the its development? Like, what are you coming to... Portland in 10 days, um, feeling like 
you need to dig into, if anything, or have unanswered questions about? Like, what's the work you're most looking forward to doing while you're here? I think the first draft of the play, we're in April now, was turned in in November. It was after Thanksgiving, so December. So I turned in the play in December. Um, Josh came to uh, New York and we did like a closed um, like three or four day workshop in New York with this great uh, young director, uh, Zai Ali Khan, and a cool company of actors. The play at that point, I will say, um, uh, when I when I was an, when I was younger writer when I one of my my plays first when I first started writing plays I used to write really long three hour two act plays uh, and and people always joked that I was an overwriter and so as I've gotten older I've um, I've streamlined and so the first um, I think draft of Orange Sky was about. 80 minutes, maybe even less, maybe like 70 minutes. Um, it was very quick. It was a short one act. I was very excited about it. Um, so we heard it. We we worked on it. Josh, um, I was. it was actually really amazing. Josh, the first thing he said when we read the play was he turned to me and said, I can't wait to produce this. So that was really meaningful. Um, I learned a lot from, from that workshop and those great actors. And, you know, Josh, it was really, the play was really fresh. I really had just finished writing it maybe the day before. I'd never heard it. It was totally rough. Um, and so we talked a lot about what was working, what questions we had. Um, the main bulk of the story was there. There was maybe questions about time. Um, and by time, I mean uh, the play is about a family that comes together. And there was an event in the play that we were like, is this the right event? Should it be Christmas? Should it be Thanksgiving? Should it be somebody's birthday? Um, so that that kind of affected some of the things in the play. Um, anyway, so I, we did that. And then I had, um, I think until I think maybe February or March to do some rewrites. So I went away, I thought about the play. The play is now a two act play. It got bigger. I try to keep it small, it got bigger. It's still not super long, um, but uh, it got bigger. And one of the things that Josh wondered about was whether the play should be two acts. And so as of now, the play is two acts. Um, but what I will say to you in, in a very, I just went on for so long, is that I haven't heard this new draft. I, I rewrote it, I revised, and, and then I sent it to Josh. And to be completely honest, Honest, I haven't read it since I sent it to him. Um, so I don't know if um, what what issues we have. I mean, I know that the play works overall. I know that there's no like, you know, big machinery that needs to be taken apart. But I think there are some questions about whether, you know, um, when we first heard the play in, in, in December, the play's about a family. So it's my mom, my dad, me, and my two brothers. Uh, I have an older brother and younger brother. Um, and then um, it's about a guy that I bring home with me. Um, so I guess one of the things that we wondered about in the, in the, in the last workshop is whether we saw enough of the brothers. Um, uh, and so I added some scenes for them. And so I, I think when I'm with um, Josh and you, when you cast of actors and and our new our my director Damaso Rodriguez, who's really brilliant, I think we will we will see if things are moving along or if there's work to be done. But again, I, I it's I feel like I should have had a more specific answer. My feeling right now is that the play works. I just need to see how much stronger I can make it. I think is the is the long winded answer. 
That was Christopher Oscar Pena, and you can join us for the public reading of his play Our Orange Sky, Saturday, May 6th, 2 p.m. at Imago Theater. Lastly, to cap off the week with our featured playwrights, Profiles hosting an artist's talk in which Diaz and Pena will be joined via satellite by our third featured playwright of the season, Lauren Yi. The playwrights will read selections from their work and discuss the role of the artist and arts institutions in the civic life of a city. The conversation will be followed by a reception and book signing in the lobby. Uh, it's a great way to engage really personally uh, with the featured playwrights this season and celebrate the work that they are making and bringing to Portland. For tickets or more information on our playwright convening events, please visit profiletheater.org slash convening. Thanks for tuning in for part one of our convening coverage. In part two, I talk to guest directors, Portland's own Damaso Rodriguez and New York-based director Leah Gardner about their own approach to new work development in a workshop context and what they personally bring into the room. Make sure that you subscribe to the Satellite Podcast for our pre- and post-convening conversations and all of the conversations we have with artists that surround our productions. This episode was produced by me, Tamara Carroll, Jamie M. Ray, line producer, Robert A.K. Gonya, sound engineer. We exist on the traditional lands of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalyapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Willamette and Columbia rivers. We honor the ancestors of this place and acknowledge that we are here now because of the sacrifices forced upon them. We honor their descendants who live among us.